Inverse Genius Episode 75, Fortnightly Hungry for Weird Food Stories. In this episode, Eric, Don, and Bruce talk about all kinds of stuff, including Ren Pie, Bullet Train, Maiku Form Box, and Weird History Food. Hey, if you like what you hear and you'd like to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash obg. Everything that comes in from there goes to cover our monthly podcasting costs, which we appreciate. Thanks. Welcome to another episode of the Inverse Genius Fortnightly, where we talk about stuff that we find interesting that is not game-related. Uh, I am Donald Dennis, and you can find me all over the wilds of the internet as Walsfio, and I am here today with Bruce, whose fault this all is. Hey, Bruce. Hey, how how in how in the hell are you? I am doing things great. It, uh, all my medical problems are behind me, so hooray! Nice. It's always a plus. Yep, and so is the hurricane. So that's also good. Very good. Uh, where can where can you be found? Uh, you know, let's do let's do Twitter this time uh, at uh, let's say at Party Gamecast. You know what? Because that's a thing. I'm probably editing later today or tomorrow. Uh, at Party Gamecast, if you care about party games, games take the parties, or uh, various food and or drink options, uh, non alcoholic. Excellent. And we are here with uh, Dr. Eric Dewey. Hello, Doctor. Oh, I was looking for <laughs> looking for somebody else. Yes, hello, welcome. You can find me at uh, ericdewey.com, which actually does say that I have a PhD there. So, yes. It does. It does. So, uh, how are you all doing? We, we got my uh, post-Hurricane uh, Pleasantness out of the way. Uh, what's going on in, uh, in Maryland and Oklahoma? Uh, Maryland first. Uh, you know, everything's good. Everything's good. Paying slightly more attention to baseball, which if you are, a lot of things are happening. It also brings up our yearly debate of in the 1990s when people took a whole bunch of steroids and broke every record on Earth. Are those real record breaks or not? We get to have that discussion every year, which is fun (laughs) to see. We also get to see exactly how much money will someone pay for a special baseball. Uh, So we get to watch that discussion as we watch Albert Pujols uh, cross 700 home runs and Aaron Judge uh, get 61, possibly 62 in a season. Uh, They... There's already been someone that said if Aaron Judge hits 62 home runs in a season, they will pay $2 million for the baseball right now. That's not an auction. That is an, an open buyer that has put a bounty on that baseball. So now we get to see what <laughs> oh, happens man. if the squid games are real. <laughs> what happens mm. if we throw a $2 million baseball into the outfield at Yankee Stadium? Uh, and I don't know. I'm, I'm very, I'm very nervous. Uh, at the point that we're talking about this, Albert Pujols already hit his 700, uh, and someone caught it. Everybody was happy for them, and they didn't give it to Albert Pujols, and they went away to go auction it somewhere, which I think is exactly what they should do. Uh, but like, no one got maimed, but no one had put a seven-figure ransom <laughs> on that ball yet. Uh, right. So I'm kind of waiting to see, should Aaron Judge get 62? Uh, what is going to happen? But I guess so that's not really you- what's happening in Maryland, but there's kind of <laughs> what I'm paying some attention to. Do you think that this person who's willing to pay this much for that one major baseball thing already has a bunch of other collector's baseballs and he's trying to pump the value up on those by offering way too much money for this one? Or um, It is an auction house that auctions these things. I think they're offering $2 million because they think if it goes to auction, it'll be even higher. Uh, because 
you know, I guess over the past bunch of years, and especially coming through the pandemic, sort of baseball and sports collectibles have gotten real hot again. And it's becoming like art, where if you know anything about fine art and fine art auctions, it's not that anyone cares about what the art looks like. It's that it's a great way to launder money. And I think that is what's happening uh, with these sports yeah. collectibles now, because now it's like, oh, any given baseball is worth five million dollars. And you're like, no, I don't care what that baseball saw. It's a, it right. could have gone to the shadow realm and back. <laughs> it's not worth five million dollars. Um, so I think that's kind of what's happening more than anything else right now is it's just kind of in that whole world where fine art is where it doesn't make you know where Banksy slicing a painting up into 20 pieces and it still sells for 71 million dollars and even Banksy's like that's because this is a fraud uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. that's kind of where we're looking um, I mean I wouldn't pay two million bucks for the baseball that sat on Cisco's desk for all of Star Trek Deep Space Nine so right you know I just I, I don't some of the sports cl- and, and this is and remember like I'm a dyed in the wool I'm the sports dude I'm the guy that kind of gets it and I'm still not the sports dude but in a lot of places I walk I happen to be um mm. and I get collectibles and all that but it just doesn't make sense to me anymore uh and I can never tell is that a product of I'm just not in that tax bracket or does it legitimately <laughs> not make sense and I think it might legitimately not make sense uh as anything other than a uh, hiding wealth somewhere um the only other thing I would like to bring up in the Bruce Talks uh, portion here is because we're all big Taskmaster fans. A lot mm. of Taskmaster stuff has come out in a very short period of time. Um, season 14 is happening right now on Channel 4 in the UK. Uh, if you can find your way to route your way over to watch it, it just started the other day. There is a new Taskmaster board game, which is at its core a campaign game. It is a 10 game campaign that they want you to play with your, the same friends over and over. I, it is not a legacy. You do not destroy anything. You've never played Taskmaster with my friends if you're saying <laughs> we're not destroying anything. So I'll put it to you like this. The game doesn't <laughs> require you to. Whatever you do. Uh, who knows? Uh, they have you assemble little boxes and put little things in boxes. I specifically, while assembling them, tried not to look at anything, like just to do the basic and then put it away and forget about it. But... Uh, there are envelopes that you open up, and each of the <laughs> envelopes gives you a different task. It also gives you the prize task for your next session. So literally, everybody goes home and knows the next prize task for when we all get together for the next session of the game. Um, it even tells you at the end of the game that, like, hey, fold this all back up, and you can give it to somebody else, and they can play it. Uh, so that's kind of cool. I know we're not supposed to talk about board games here, but there's that. <laughs> there's also a card game. Yes, Donald. Um, how, uh, mature is it? Like, would this be good to go in the library for like a regular game day or uh, at my work where I deal with teens or is this for adults? So I'm going to start with, I haven't looked that deep into it only because I'm specifically trying not to, uh, spoil myself for the games that are going to happen. That having mm-hmm. been said, I think the box is like 11 and up. So I think it's probably okay. going to be all right. There was nothing I could see on any of the parts. Like, I'll just tell you, because if you get it, there's like cardboard ducks and you put five cardboard ducks in a little box and then you put the box in the thing. And then there's like a cardboard egg you assemble and put in the thing. Um, so I don't think there's anything unless you make it that way. You know, I mean, it's going to be like any of those games. You can make apples to apples filthy if you walked in wanting to make apples to apples filthy. I don't think it's any yeah. worse than that, but I don't think the game brings anything to it that makes whole- you do that. A whole game company has been created on making apples to apples filthy. <laughs> exactly. So. But they Maybe literally several. walked you up to filthy 
apples to apples. Yes. It's like, eh, if that's what you want to do. And I think this is very much the same way. It also has a whole bunch of stuff where you can scan QR codes and Alex Horn talks to you. There's a card game where they've essentially kind of boiled down what is Taskmaster into a deck of cards you shuffle and flip over and everyone does the thing. Uh, there's also the Taskmaster app, which you can get on most of your app stores for about five bucks. It does a whole bunch of stuff. It gives you a jukebox so you can play a lot of the songs from the TV show. It lets you score along at home. If you want to go back and watch an old season and see how you would have scored the season, you can do that. There's a trivia game in it. Uh, there's all there's a, a, a play at home version. A weekly challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Where there's like the Taskmaster Challenge, which feels very much like kind of what the card game is doing, but it's a version that's on an app. Uh, so that's all worth checking out. So yeah, the app, the card game, the board game, the new season, a lot of Taskmaster. It's a thing we covered in the past, so I felt like I could shoehorn that in. That's exciting. Well, cool. Uh, do you have anything else that you've been... It's uh, uh, a callback to previous episodes? I, I'm, You know what? I think I've talked a lot. I'm good. All right. How about you, Eric? Well, back when Bruce was talking sports, I have my first kind of sports tragedy, I guess, is uh, there is a, a F Formula One race right now going on in Singapore. It's over now, mm -hmm. but today in Singapore. And normally my DVR is all set up to record that, but apparently Dish Network and ESPN are arguing right now and we don't have currently ESPN. So I'm going to have to... Uh, uh, suddenly find myself in England and watch the uh, Formula One race that way. <laughs> I was just about to say, if, for instance, you wanted to watch Taskmaster, you could probably <laughs> dial around a little bit and find the Formula One race. Yep, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but that's the first time I've had a, a, a problem with ESPN being gone that I actually was going to watch something on it. <laughs> I'm going to have to learn how to do this VPN stuff, apparently. We'll talk so. to you about it after the show. We wouldn't, we wouldn't dare suggest on the show that people do anything like that. But afterwards we can, we can get you put together. We can get you squared up. Right. <laughs> Excellent. Well, a couple of things, uh, that I, I want to say is, Hey, it's still loving She-Hulk. Uh, a lot of fun, uh, still calling out all the right people for being, you know, evil, toxic folks. Um, and, uh, and still very comedic. The latest episode, uh, if you all watched this week's episode. Yes. I haven't watched any uh, of it. Obama's day. All right. Anyway, well, then we will not get any farther into that. I've also been uh, watching the Cyberpunk Edge Runner show, which is completely unlike She-Hulk. It's, it's an animation based on the Cyberpunk game, I guess. Um, okay. And it is uh, very violent. It is uh, uh, action-filled. It's got some neat tech in it. I can't wait to watch the last couple of episodes on that. That'll be fun. I may, may pick that later as an actual pick. I don't know. Um, but the other thing that's been entertaining me lately is a YouTube channel, uh, Bryn, Ben Brainerd's um, series, The Table, uh, where he plays each of the different states and the federal government and occasionally himself. And uh, sometimes he has other people on, like he's got a, a special guest who plays Hawaii when there's Hawaii and he had someone playing Puerto Rico, uh, and uh, and it was just—it's amazing to see the relationship that he's built up between like Florida and Hawaii, where they complain about tourists coming in and destroying <laughs> all their beaches. Uh, and it, this is something that he started at the, at, during the pandemic, and it's the federal government calling to check in with the different states and seeing sort of, oh, how did the virus or uh, the vaccine rollout going in your area? And they get into other things like what are your local cryptids like, or 
uh, you know, laws about alligators or, you know, a variety of things like that. And since he's from Florida, one of his main characters besides the federal government who's in each one is Florida, who's in each of them, because having the embodiment of Florida man living there um, in each episode adds its own element of hilarity. And so I recommend you go check that out. There will be links in the show notes, uh, but it's just hilarious. And it's sort of, I think one of the best ways to poke fun at the, uh, at the government for its deeds and, you know, moderate misdeeds, because it talks about how, uh, you know, Alaska doesn't care about the federal government at all. It might as well not exist. Hawaii has <laughs> been asking them to get off the Island forever and go away. Uh, you know, so it's, it's not too bad. And, and uh, the one I would recommend is a good start is uh, they have the, and so-and-so joins the table. So the, when Texas joins the table as uh, sort of near and dear to my heart, uh, being from Oklahoma, because Oklahoma does put in a very brief cameo uh, at the end of that one. And so I would say that they, they go and check that out and and enjoy somebody who's not afraid to poke fun at the government, but is not is not mean about it. Because it's obvious that he's a traveling comedian. A, he goes from you know state to state or whatever and does his shows. And that he's sort of encountered a bunch of the endearing quirks uh, that these various places has had. And, you know, it's like, oh, I see that he's doing New York, but it's really tough because he's got the, like the New York accent, right? And you think, you know, some of the New York City, Brooklyn accent or whatever it is, but he's wearing like a Buffalo sports team hat. And you're like, (laughs) that would never happen. No. But then you realize he's sort of trying to embody the whole state of New York. And uh, he he has a New Jersey bit that is really hilarious as well that sort of says, here's the problem when you're trying to embody an entire state at once. Uh, so New Jersey doing the table is another one I'd recommend. So go and check that out. Um, that is, a uh, yeah, Ben Brainard's uh, The Table series on YouTube. You can find it there. And, and that's it. That's all I've got. <sighs> so let's dive into our big things that we really want to talk about. Uh, Eric, I'm going to start you with what, what would right. you like to talk about? going to make Bruce back clean up because he's good at that. Okay, I do have two things, so but we'll start with one. Um, Bullet Train, starring Brad Pitt. Uh, when we went and saw other movies, we saw a preview for Bullet Train. It's one of these, we had talked previous episodes about like these stylized, violent, uh, not comedic, but at least have comedic element movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the trailer made this one look like that's exactly what it was going to be. And I turned to my son and I was like, if they can keep that tone through the whole thing, it's going to be a great movie. And if they can't, it's just going to be junk. And so when it came out, we went and saw it and yes, they kept the tone through the whole movie. Uh, it was, it's probably the best movie I've seen this year. Um, oh, that's awesome. And I was talking to our children's pastor about it. He loved it as well. It's based on a book. He's reading the book and it really, the book follows the, the movie I should say the movie follows the book pretty faithfully and uh, it just, it works well. It's got, it's a very sharp written story. The setting is for the most part completely on this bullet train. So you've got that Agatha Christie locked area and you get to really know the different, different areas and the different people in the, in the train. And uh, it just, it just, there's a lot of neat, fun little cameos and the characters are all good. I just, everything about this movie was everything I wanted it to be. So it's been a while since I've been in a movie where it's like, yes, this was everything I had hoped it would be. And Brad Pitt's character, he just plays such a great guy uh, in it. So 
I don't, I'm trying to stay vague enough so that nothing's spoiled, but it is just right. a great flick. That sounds awesome because looking at it, I, I thought the same thing you did. I'm like, oh man, I want this to keep this the whole time. And I saw that Bad Bunny was in it, mm-hmm. uh, which was kind of a neat thing. If you're a wrestling fan, you realize he had to have been making this about the same time he appeared on WrestleMania because it was just sort of this period where Bad Bunny was like, I'm locked down and I can't make money. Let me go find alternate ways to make money and do fun stuff I wouldn't be able to do. And I can tell you from his WrestleMania appearance, I don't know if he, how physical he is in the movie, but he was like a full stuntman at WrestleMania. So I would imagine if there was anything physical required of him, he probably was working on all of it at the same time, kind of picking up stuntman skills. So I hope we see a little bit of that because it was certainly impressive to see, you know, in a live environment. Yeah. Yep. Nice. So that's that's Bullet Train. It's very stylized, slightly comedic or very comedic uh, action that sort of holds itself together and doesn't spin off into the void. Or off the rails is what you really wanted to say. That is, that is in fact, what I wanted to say. (laughs) (laughs) It is now available for streaming for purchase. Uh, at some point, I imagine it'll hit streaming services. But if you, if as soon as this is over, you hop on Amazon, give them your twenty bucks, and you can watch the movie and as many times as you want. But uh, yeah, I definitely recommend checking out Bullet Train. Hooray! Well, okay. So I changed what I was going to do several times, and at this point, I've settled on a new tool that. You're a new uh, you can tool. do your second thing after after I do this. Yeah, the new <laughs> tool that I got at work uh, that I'm super excited about, and I've only really gotten to play with it very little, uh, but I think it sort of has to be has to be mentioned at this point before I burn the library down or scald myself horribly with it. Um, and it's it's the Meku Formbox. Um, are you familiar with this? Either one of you, you making fools? No. no. Yes. All right. I, I think the place I go is a vacuum former. It is a vacuum forming machine. Ooh, yes, there we go. Fancy. So a couple years back, uh, I saw a video uh, where um, Adam Savage rebuilt his original vacuum forming machine that he had, and I saw that the folks at the Punished Props Academy made this giant one so they could do you know sizable things. And I'm like, I've got to get one of those. Uh, the one that uh, uh, Adam Savage showed at one point was a dental vacuum forming one. And it's about the size of a blender. And so you can get very small vacuum forms about the size of, oh, about four inches across. And uh, it gets really small things. Yes, Eric. So just real quick, I want to point out what a vacuum former does. <laughs> so what it explain allows- that as part of this. Yes, All go right. ahead. So yeah, so you, you create a mold, a form that you want, and then you take a real thin sheet of uh, plastic, you heat it up to where it's kind of melty, you pour it into the vacuum form chamber, sucks all the air out, and it basically forms this plastic shell around the model that you're uh, trying to build. And so if you want to make stormtrooper armor or any kind of stuff like that, it's really great. It makes a nice thin plastic. Is that accurate? Sort of. Um, you don't pour anything. Other than that, it is correct. Um, so this particular one, the small one that we had had for a couple of years, the dental one, it's basically this big metal thing, and it heats up. Uh, the thin sheet of, pl- of styrene is what we generally use. Um, as it's, it start, starts to droop a little bit, it says, hey, I'm moldable enough. You drop it down onto whatever it is, the buck 
that you want to make your form out of, and it sucks all the air out and creates a little form around it. And it may be that what you want is the inside of that thing so that you can then pour stuff into it and make molds, or it may be that you want the outside as something that you can put on the wall as a decoration or that you want to paint up for an escape room as a prop or whatever it is, because you can do it either way. So it's so there. But if it gets hot enough that it is liquid and it's pouring anywhere, you've not, you've changed the whole nature of the process. <laughs> but um, so that's the one we had. It was really small. So we could do little things like dice or uh, little charms or whatever, just to teach. Here's the basics. Here's what, what, um, a vacuum form machine does and here's casting molds. And we wanted to do a whole bunch of little tires for gas lands. So we were uh, creating molds that, that you could do that with. Um, well, the Meku form box is you instead have something that is more like the size of a, a normal sheet of paper from like a tablet that you can do the whole thing instead of just doing a little three or four inch circle. And instead of being metal, you know, all the way through, uh, and likely to scald yourself literally if you touch the, uh, the the thing that the heating element in the top is. It's got a a, cha- a chassis that is a little more thermally resistant and a little less likely to make you smell like you're cooking bacon uh, if you touch it while it's in use. Um, and since I work with teenagers who, when you turn your back, will touch just about anything, <laughs> uh, having the new form box is going to be uh, an amazing, amazing thing to, to trot out. Now, these these things that you make, you can do like if you're creating your own stuff for like a booth at a convention or something, you can make blister packs because that's all done through vacuum forming is those little plastic shells that any kind of material comes in uh, or electronics or whatever, that's, um, that's done through vacuum forming. Um, if you uh, want to uh, cast some molds of some stuff, then you then you can certainly use it for that. Uh, I'm trying to remember what what else what else we would use it for. Oh yes, uh, the other thing is is you can get food grade plastics, and you can make your own uh, like chocolate shapes or whatever. I've already been told uh, by the boss to be very careful of what kind of stuff we make <laughs> vacuum forms of. Uh, just like we were told, don't make weapons on the 3D printer. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so there's that. So it's a wide variety of things. And I will be making molds for all kinds of stuff. Now, these are only reusable molds if you don't have to destroy the thing when you're getting the stuff out of it. Um, so if you're casting soft stuff, it'll generally come out easier. Uh, or if uh, if there's no undercuts. So like if you did like a 20-sided die, um, you would have to bust pretty much bust the mold to get the die out. So it wouldn't be any good for that because it would, it would gather in around the bottom. So that's it. The, uh, Meku form box that's M a Y K U, uh, is a desktop vacuum former. So I will report back later when I've made things and gotten in trouble. (laughs) That sounds cool. Yeah. I mean, I've seen plans for making your own vacuum former box using like a box fan or a shop vac mm-hmm. or, you know, stuff like that. But I've never, uh, never, never pulled the trigger. <laughs> How yes. about you, Bruce? Um, I know we were actually just talking about this before the show started that now I'm, uh, I've joined a uh, uh, maker space 
and they have one, but I'm still at the very beginning of kind of my journey of trying to make things where I'm like, I can cut this shape and glue it to this shape. And that's as far, I haven't gotten to the <laughs> point where I'm vacuum forming things or really constructing large items. It's just like, oh, if I cut the number nine out, I can glue it to another piece of plastic and then the number nine's raised. That's kind of <laughs> where I am now. Understood. Yeah. So where this comes in, and, and you can do some neat stuff with it, is that the first there are a few things that are mold making classes that we, that we do. One is, Hey, you've got alginate, which is a skin safe stuff that you stick your thumb into. It creates a mold around and then you pour a plaster or something into it and you pop it out. And Hey, you have your thumb, which I say, give that to your parents. So in case you ever disappear, they've got your thumbprint. Uh, <laughs> that makes me real popular with the parents. Uh, but we also, the next thing that we do is we have a little potatoes and you only get the waxier potatoes if you can, but it doesn't really matter. You chop them up into shapes and we have them make little gemstone shapes. And then we do the vacuum forming with that. And you can dig out the potato without breaking the mold because the potatoes generally give away enough quick enough that then you, we fill it up either with some sort of colored plaster, or if we have, if it's not too big, we'll use like uh, a, uh, a resin of some sort or whatever. And then they, they have these little gems that they have made. And so that's the basics, the starter thing. But if you've got something that, oh, I want to do, I want to make a bunch of little goblin faces to hang on the walls as sort of Christmas or holiday ornaments or whatever, um, I could do that. So anyway, I look forward to playing with it. It should be a lot of fun. Excellent. All right. So Bruce, do you have one or two things to talk about? Um, I think I've covered most. I have one more thing left to talk about. So you tell me if you want me to, to well, go. We'll I let Eric have one more thing, right, Eric? Yeah. We'll let it, yeah. Then let's let you talk, Eric. All right. So a long time back, Bruce uh, introduced us to a quite fun game called I Love You, Colonel Sanders, which was a Japanese dating simulator with Colonel Sanders, KFC. Lots of fun. Uh, and that is a, a dating game. But in a broader sense, it's a visual novel. Uh, and there is a large genre of visual novels that cover, you know, all kinds of gambit from, you know, sweet little innocent stories all the way up to full blown pornographic stories. But what I talked, what I'm here to show you is that there is actually an engine to build these visual novels that is stupidly simple and really pretty powerful. It's called RenPy, R-E-N apostrophe P-Y. And what it is, is it's a scripting language that you can just type in your story and when you can put choices in there and, and all that kind of stuff. And you basically specify, you know, showing these pictures and you can build a full blown visual novel. And what really impresses me about RenPy, not only is how simple it is to make a story, but that you can also use full-blown Python in there if you need to do something like, oh, I'm writing a story and it'd be really fun if I had sort of a Dance Dance Revolution minigame in here. Well, if you can program it in Python or, more specifically, someone else has done it for you and you can just plug it in, um, you can just add it to your story fairly seamlessly. And so I, I stumbled across this and suddenly just saw all kinds of, of incredible opportunities with this. Um, there's a, when the first novel I ever wrote, I, I really loved the story. But, you know, when I went back and reread it, I was like, oh, if I wanted to fix this novel, I'd have to basically rewrite it from scratch. And then I stumbled across Renpai and I was like, or I could make it to where it's functionally a choose your own adventure type story. And, yep. uh, and so I've been kind of playing around with that. But what what impressed me so much about RenPy was just how bog simple 
the actual storytelling is. Uh, there's some great documentation on the website. There's some really good tutorials that you can follow. But really, it doesn't take very long at all for you to be able to write your story. The hard part, of course, comes into play with branching it out how you want and dealing with graphics and sound and all those other polishing pieces. But to actually get your story, to have your choices, to make your different characters have different colors when they talk and, and all of that jazz, have their little face pop up and things, is just downright super simple. Uh, and really, you can just he- head over to RenPy, R-E-N-P-Y dot org, and download it and run it and have fun <laughs> exploring a world of some great, a lot of crappy visual novels. <laughs> yes. Uh, so That's have you done awesome. one to share with us? Can we put a link in the show notes for something you created? Still working on it. I, I thought I'll make the intro to to the story that I have in mind and we'll, you know, polish it all up and we'll see how good it is and then determine if this, if, if it's good enough to continue and if it's worth it for me to continue the story. But I've already done all the writing at this point. I'm in the art stage, which is a whole other uh, set of skills, but uh, it's slick. I was surprised at how quickly you just go from understanding it to, or, you know, downloading it to actually understanding how it works and seeing some of the capabilities of it. That's cool. I don't know if you remember Stephanie Fry, who used to be a Games and Schools and Libraries co-host and has been on this show once or twice, I think. Um, she, uh, she's made a couple of games in it as well, uh, which I guess um, I'll see what if I can get the links, if they're appropriate to share with folks, uh, just so they can see sort of... Uh, some of what, what happens, or if you've got a favorite one that you've seen, Eric, give us the, uh, give us a link and I'll put it, put it in the notes. Yeah. You know, I haven't ever, I haven't finished, I haven't found one that just grabbed me to where I'm going to play it all the way to the end yet, but I have found quite a few that are like, Oh, it's interesting. I see what they did here. Sort of things. That's cool. Very cool. This uh, is exciting. This makes me want to build like a branching game show thing with it. Cause I feel like it's uh, yeah. It's, it's easily easy and, and seems like there's enough functionality to work within that space. Yeah, exactly. And at the very least, you could prototype it out super quick, you know, mm-hmm. do three or four choices, see if this is going to work for you. And if not, you know, move on. But if you're, but because yeah, it's, it's really pretty straightforward. I mean, the, the syntax in and of itself is very straightforward. So I was just really excited about it. So just thought someone else might be as well. That's awesome. <laughs> super cool. All right, Bruce, wrap this thing up. What you got for us? Okay, so uh, we've talked about how I like to watch random documentary things on the YouTubins. Uh, mm. I think I've talked about Defunct Land here. Um, I think one or two others. This time I want to bring you another new channel I think is fun. Uh, it is called Weird History Food. <laughs> Every okay. week on Sunday, they come out with a new story that is a weird part of food history. Now, sometimes they take... So the first time I saw this particular way of looking at food was in some books by John T. Edge, uh, which I think he's a fun writer. There's a lot of things going on with him. I don't support any of the bad stuff happening right now, but he would make a book like fried chicken. And then what he would do is he would take every part of the U.S. that had like a signature fried chicken and go find the story to learn how that happened. 
Um, and it does some of that. Like, for instance, this week they did every style of barbecue we could find in the United States. And they literally go through and they go, Texas is where you think barbecue comes from. The Texas barbecue you're going to see is from here, here, and here. These are the main places until it moved up to here. And then you're going to see this. And then when you go to Memphis, you're going to find that Memphis got a lot of spices because they were on the water. So Memphis changed it this way. And, then, and it's really kind of neat to see that story. That is one way they do it. Another thing they will do is they will go through like the history of Velveeta. So they <laughs> explain that Velveeta at one point was actually made of real cheese. Uh, so much so that Europe would import Velveeta because it was a cheese they liked and then Kraft bought it and turned it into goop. Um, <laughs> but that Velveeta originally was uh, they would have to deliver like Swiss cheese throughout the U.S. And because there wasn't really refrigeration, if like a wheel of cheese would fall, it would break and then it would be unsellable. So they would take it back, cut it up, and then. A cheese scientist worked with what he could mix it with to make a new cheese out of it that he called Velveeta. And then that's sort of the you can learn a little more about that. There's another one about like every type of hot dog we could find, um, which I found interesting. I would say the barbecue one was very lacking because there are definitely types of barbecue I've had that they do not talk about. The hot dog one. I've been like to the cities they say have a unique hot dog that I have never heard of. Um, but it's a fun like. 10 to 20 minute documentary each week about something somewhere in food history that's worth paying a little bit of attention to. Uh, one is the rise and fall of the Arch Deluxe, uh, the <laughs> McDonald's attempt to get adults and why that failed. And then that ties into another one about the history of Mac Tonight, which was the crooning moon character that they had for a while. And they talk about how he existed and why that was a failure um, <laughs> and sort of where he's come in pop culture and how he didn't want to be there now. Um, and they kind of tie all that stuff together. They talk about the pizza wars of the 90s, uh, where everybody just tried to make the biggest pizza they could for what seemed to mm. be no good reason. Uh, they were just like, hey, uh, one day Pizza Hut came out with a nine foot pizza. And then Domino's <laughs> a year later made like a nine and a half foot pizza. But no one wanted big pizza anymore. And they kind of go through all that stuff. The extended uh, McDonald's universe. Uh, all that kind of stuff. If, if you're sort of amused by those sort of food stories and how they tie into the pop culture zeitgeist in most cases uh, and and that and then sometimes just like um, general cuisines throughout the country uh, as they sit, especially in kind of a fast food place. Well worth the time. They're fun documentaries. They're smartly edited. Uh, they have decent music. They look professional. It looks like the kind of thing you would see between two shows on the Food Network, especially back in the day when the Food Network didn't have as much programming, like Guy Fieri had not made 20 game shows for them. <laughs> so they would have to just find something to slip in the middle of things. And it would be like Mark Summers teaches you how they make Laffy Taffy. It feels very much like that vibe, uh, but it, with a, through a slightly more modern lens. That's interesting. Well, that's cool. Did they cover the, uh, the, the big old hot dog fights that go up in New York? Because... Those people are passionate about their hot dogs. I want to say they do kind of mention it, you know, like, hey, this is the thing. The same way you would talk about, like, Pat's and Gino's in Philadelphia about cheesesteak, mm -hmm. where they're like, this is a thing that happens here. Uh, they fight about it a lot. Uh, they did the same thing with Chicago pizza, because there's, like, three different Chicago pizza establishments that all started from the same place. They talk about that in the pizza episodes. They do get into that yes. kind of stuff, although uh, I, they haven't done, like, the deep dive on that fight yet, which I would imagine they're waiting for when they run out of content. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Have you heard the Fantastic History of Food podcast? I have not. Uh, okay. Um, so it's it it goes into weird stuff about food. It's not as uh, as coolly educationally uh, and 
investigative as what you're talking about, but it's like, yep. And here's this guy who, who hosted a feast where everybody had to ride in on horses and had to eat their feast on horses at his place. Okay. Or here's the, uh, the great molasses flood of, uh, of Boston. Oh, I've heard of that one. Or, yeah. 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 Or, yeah. Puppet or, history talked about that. <laughs> yeah. All kinds of, yes. Yes. Um, in fact, it was I was introduced to puppet history after you talked about it, but it, I had seen it briefly once when I was looking more about this whole molasses flood. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the fantastic history of food, you know, it talks about the a uh, eating competitions. They do one on that, and uh, you know, how many goldfish can a person eat? Uh, live <laughs> goldfish. Uh, okay, not know, the and, crackers. And just, I thought maybe it was going to be the crackers. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, a wide variety of topics that if you're looking for weird stuff about food, uh, then then that's another one to, to get. But it's a it's a listening show as far as I know. I don't think they've got a uh, a YouTube channel. So, but if you want to add that to your food rotation, I, I recommend it. It's it's kind of a fun thing. So. Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, no, I have to check it out every Sunday night. They say that uh, you get new episodes of uh, weird history of food, right? Yeah, but it usually comes, uh, like, by the time I get up, I'm a late riser, as you both know, having to schedule things with me on Sundays. <laughs> uh, and mm. usually by the time I get up and I'm paying enough attention to start looking at things on YouTube, a new one either has come out or comes out while I'm watching other things. So normally I would say, like, on the afternoon on the East Coast on Tuesday, or I'm sorry, on Tuesday on Sunday, you're going to see them come out. But they have a couple of different sort of, uh, their side playlists are food styles, food commercials, uh, snacks, candy, and junk food, just McDonald's, because they talk a lot about them. Famous foodies, pizza, like they've got a few different uh, drinks. They have one where they talk about what a flop Zima was. Uh, but it always seems to have kind of a, a pop culture bent, uh, which is what I like about it. So, yeah, very cool. <laughs> well worth, I think, in most cases, your uh, 10 to 20 minutes that it's going to take to watch it. I got to watch the episode that's all about the McDLT. Keeps the hot yes. side hot and the cool side cool. <laughs> yep. And they talk about what a, what a brilliant idea they thought that was. <laughs> and then they also run through sort of what was uh, what was wrong. They also have a lot of, anytime you talk about the McDLT, the Arch Deluxe, or Mac Tonight, you have to see the same picture of Ronald McDonald dressed up in wingtips because they were trying <laughs> to make Ronald McDonald more adult. Right. And it's like, Ronald McDonald golfing and stuff. And they're like, why did anyone look at this and think this is what America wanted? But they sure did spend and they go through the money, you know, like $50 million trying to sell this image of Ronald McDonald that failed. Uh, but they talk about that for all of those like adult sandwiches that didn't work. Right. Yep. That's hilarious. Wow. So there you go. That is a uh, weird. I want to make sure I say it correctly because it's very easy for me to mix all the words up because they just sound okay together. A weird history food. Uh, right now, only 112,000 subscribers. So they're just starting off. They're getting used to it. They've got probably 30 episodes. Nice. But yeah, I would say well worth your time. If anything I said sounds interesting, I think you're going to find it worth your time. Excellent. Yeah. I'll check it out. Very good. Well, all right, guys. I think that's it. I think we need to wrap this up so that I can go watch some weird history food. <laughs> Excellent. So. Indeed. Thank you so all much right, well, for letting me be a part of it this week. Yeah, hey, thank you for joining us uh, yet once again. Uh, listeners, we appreciate you hanging out with us for this time. Please head on over to our Facebook group and let us know if there's anything that you're excited about that either you want to come on and talk with us on or that you think we should investigate enough to talk about. Because, you know, we don't actually have to be an expert on anything in this show. That's that's not what we do. Uh, 
But uh, yeah, so that's it. Or head over to theinversegenius.com and check out our other fine podcasts like Onboard Games and I think it's just Onboard Games right now. Hmm. We'll have to check. All right. Anyway, uh, Eric, is there anything else I need to say? I can't remember. No, I think at this point you just say thanks for listening. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye. That's it for this episode of the Inverse Genius Podcast. The Inverse Genius Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 License. Thank you.